So we are in a uh, series called Starting Strong, and what we've been talking about is uh, what happens when you take a community, um, in the Bible it's called a church, but basically the Greek word for that is just ekklesia, and it literally means gathering. What happens when you take a gathering of people who all of a sudden have a touch of the Spirit of God, not only as a group, but also individually? What happens, what changes take place, what, what, what is the impact when we as a people give ourselves over to God in every area of our life? What is possible for that? Last week, um, I, I preached a sermon that was super important, at least to me, and I probably got more comments on that uh, sermon than any other sermon I ever preached on, and it was because it was about the election. Did you know that we had an election just last week? Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, we elected a, um, a president. Um, and so uh, I told you in that sermon that I was gonna tell you who I voted for, and I did. So if you haven't heard that sermon, I strongly, strongly suggest that you go on our website and you listen to that, and then you'll know how I voted, and then you can send me emails and stuff. It would be really fun. Um, but, uh, but what we talked about, uh, then I'll give you a little synopsis because it sets up what we're going to be talking about this morning. This church was exploding, okay? Jesus has gone up into heaven and now the Holy Spirit is with these people as they gather. The Holy Spirit is talking to them and guiding them and directing them and there's, there's uh, signs and wonders and all these different things. And some Jews came from Jerusalem to Antioch where Paul was staying and they said, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised, okay? That was their big thing. Now, we find that odd, but for them, they wouldn't because circumcision was something that was extremely important to them for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they could not imagine that God would allow you to be saved without being, taking part of that ritual, it was really important. They couldn't wrap their head around the fact that maybe somebody could be different than the way they'd been brought up since they were a little tiny kid. And that's where we tied it into the election a little bit. Um, but this was the big thing. So Paul gets into this heated argument with them. And they, they, he goes back to Jerusalem and they have this Jerusalem council, these elders and apostles that came together and said, okay, what are the essential things for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they write them down. And there's not much, okay? And some of them aren't even in the Bible. They were done for a certain reason, and I'll show you that in just a little bit. But they, 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 they brought this freedom to it all. And so when we see where Paul is now and what he's about to embark on, it doesn't seem to match up with the last chapter that we are just in. We're in chapter 16 this morning, and I'll give you a little map of where we are, and for those who are on Facebook Live, I'm sorry, I don't have a map, it's right over here, so I apologize, but we're glad you're here anyway. Um, but this is present-day Turkey and present-day Greece, and so uh, there's Antioch kind of to the right, and uh, if you go straight down there, there's Jerusalem. So you get an idea as you see some of these words that we're going to be looking at where Paul is. He's in Turkey and Greece. And so um, if you notice to the right, you'll see Derby and Lystra, and then Laodicea, and, um, and then um, uh, Treos and all the uh, Troas and, um, and then Neapolis and Philippi. So we're going to kind of watch Paul go through this as we, as we um, look at the word. So Acts 16, cha uh, chapter 16, verse 1. 
Paul came to Derby, and so that was that one down at the bottom, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Now, I want to stop right there because this is... Timothy becomes very, very key to the expansion of the gospel. Um, he was with Paul for a very long time. Paul wrote uh, two letters to him that we have, probably wrote more, but we have two, first and second Timothy, because we're geniuses when it comes to naming books in the Bible. And so you got the first book, to t- first letter to Timothy, then the second letter to Timothy. And so, and he became a pastor in Ephesus. And so Paul would write him certain things on how to be a pastor and all this kind of stuff. And so this is the first time we see him. Now I want you to notice something about Timothy. His mom's Jewish and his dad is Greek. If you think the circumcision thing was a big deal, uh, if you're a Jewish girl and you fall in love with a Greek boy, that is frowned upon in that culture, right? Today, we're all about diversity. Back then, not so much. And so it, you can just imagine Timothy's mom uh, going to uh, his grandfather and going, hey, I've, I've fallen in love with, you know, Theophilus or whatever, you know, and, and the dad being like, what? He's a Greek. I'll kill him. You know, I don't know. That was my best <laughs> Jewish thing. But, uh, well, that's bad, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. So his, his, mother, his mother's Jewish and his dad's Greek. Now, imagine that family dynamic. Imagine what it would be like to have a Jewish mother and a Greek. There's two separate cultures. Further, the, the daughter goes one step further and kind of leaves her Jewish religion for this thing called Christianity. That Timothy is in this hotbed. Now, why do I bring this up? Because some of us feel we're disqualified from working and doing kingdom stuff because of our family history, because of our, where, what family we were born into. Maybe we don't feel smart enough. Maybe we don't feel uh, hip enough. Maybe we don't look as attractive or whatever. I'm, I'm here to tell you that God, that's your history, not your identity, okay? I received from my genes and my family the ability, it's kind of a superpower, to go gray very early in my life, okay? I was in college, and I was going gray in college. It was fantastic, mostly because my girlfriend was breaking up with me every week. But the point I'm trying to make, uh, I ended up marrying her, so it, it turned out okay. But the point I'm trying to make is that there are some things from our family that we just can't get around, and God can use those very things to actually be a strength in your life, not a disqualification. And this is what happens to Timothy. And so the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So Paul ends up in this, these cities and he finds out about this guy named Timothy and everybody's speaking very well of him. And he's like, hey, I, I want to send him on, uh, have him come along. Now what do you think would be the thing that you'd see in the very next verse? So Paul sent him to seminary where he could learn about the Bible and become a great pastor. No. So Paul sat down with him for two years and mentored him and discipled him and trained him. No. So Paul prayed with him for hours and they had a prayer vigil and Paul went, no. Here's what Paul did. So he circumcised him. (laughs) Why? Why? In the world would Paul do that? 
First of all, there is no qualification in ministry for that particular procedure, okay? Like, why would Paul do that? Further, I just read a chapter before that Paul spent a whole bunch of time arguing vehemently that circumcision was not necessary. See, it makes me so nervous I can barely say the word. It's not, it's not, even, it's not even necessary. It's not necessary for salvation. That, that's, been, that's been removed. Why in the world would Paul have Timothy circumcised? Actually, what's really disturbing about this verse is that he says, so he circumcised him. So I don't know if he, I don't know how that actually worked, but that was creepy. Here's why. Because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they knew that his father was a Greek. When we talked about, we sang this song, When I Don't Know What to Do, oftentimes, oftentimes God will have you do some things maybe to add to your life or to remove from your life for the very purpose of the advancement of the kingdom. And he might not do it for the person sitting next to you. So for some of you, there are certain things you can't eat, see, say, whatever. For some of you, you can. But what I'm trying to say is that God will oftentimes place you in a position of discomfort for the sole purpose of being able to win more people to Christ, to be an example. Sometimes you have to give things up. Sometimes you have to add things because you're in a certain environment. And so it's for the Jews that were in that area, for they all knew his father was Greek. And again, I don't know how they figure this out if you carry a card with you or whatever, but um, that's for later on. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, here's the thing. Circumcised Timothy was carrying the documents that said you didn't need to be circumcised. It didn't make any sense unless you accept the fact that sometimes God asks you to do things and you don't have a Bible verse to point to. You don't have it. It's just a circumstance he's placed you in. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. And sometimes we question, but there's just something you know, this is the right thing to do. Has that ever happened to you? It has for me. And guess who meets you in that? God. He meets you there. And so here's what happens. So they go on, they, they have all these decisions. Uh, I mean, that they give to the people to obey. And guess what happens when they obey them? So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. There was a freedom that was taking place even while they were reading documents that were telling them not to do something. Remember, if you remember from last week, one of the things they couldn't do was eat meat sacrificed to idols. So you have all these Greek people. Many of the markets were set up for this very thing. When you went to go get Meat from the market, it was meat sacrificed to idols, okay? And so, or, or when they cooked it, they would cook the meat and sacrifice it to an idol. This was just normal Greek practice. And yet Paul and the elders said, you can't do that anymore. Even though there's no Bible verse for it. Because we want Jews and Greeks to be able to be together without offending one another. It sounds a lot like Democrats and Republicans, <laughs> That, in fact, we can believe different things and still worship 
an awesome God. We can be on different sides of the aisle. Like I said last week, if not church, where? And so we're seeing this played out uh, right, right as we, as we uh, read. So going back to this map, um, here's what happened. So Paul and his companions, they travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, which is uh, kind of north, right under that Bithynia part. That's uh, Galatia. And so they, they, they're going to go minister and share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit keeps stopping them. Like, no, no, I don't want you to go here. And then they're, okay, we'll go over this. No, no, you got to go this way. And so th- this is what was happening. And then they make it all the way to Troas, which is right there. And uh, Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia. And he says, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul gets on a boat <laughs> and travels over to, uh, to that region. And that's where we pick it up. Now, I want, before we move forward, I wanted you to see one thing in the Bible that I thought was fascinating. This whole time, for 16 chapters, Luke has been writing, and he's been saying they, Paul and his companions. They did this. They did that. Paul did this. It was in the third person. All of a sudden, when you get to verse 10, Luke starts saying we, not French for yes, but we, first person. He switches. Now, the only reason I bring it up is when you're reading your Bible, which you should do as much as you possibly can, you should notice those things. What, what just happened? Why, why, why did that happen? And you should try to find out. And so many scholars think that Paul, uh, I mean that Luke actually wrote two things, and this is where he just kind of like put them together and he didn't change tenses. Some think this is where Luke got picked up uh, by Paul. Luke was a physician, and maybe as he was traveling, uh, Paul said, hey, I, we need to have a doctor with us, and he just started writing this down. We don't know, but it was just fascinating to me. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for uh, um, some Samothrace. <laughs> Jeez, we need to change that. And uh, the next day, we went to ne- Neapolis. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Now, a place of prayer could only be established if you had 10 men, okay? Which is weird. But what I want you to see is all the barriers God begins to remove. The first one we saw was with Timothy. Here's a person who's half Jewish, half Greek. God can use him and ask him to do some things. Breaking down those barriers. Now they come to this place of, they're, they're supposed to be in a place of prayer. And instead of men being there and them talking to men, there's women there. And guess what? They start talking to women because in God's economy, there is no difference. Galatians says there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, uh, Jew or Gentile. And so Paul begins to break down this barrier. This would not normally have happened except for the Holy Spirit. And so God's placing them in these situations that are uncomfortable and different where they have to rely on God. They have to rely on this nudging of the Holy Spirit. They try to go this way, the Holy Spirit says no. They want to go this way, the Holy Spirit says no. They want to go this way, the Holy Spirit says yes. They show up where there's supposed to be a place of prayer and there's just women. They listen to the Holy Spirit and that barrier begins to crumble. God is in the business of using our uncomfortable situations to drive us to him. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. God, 
I should practice these before I start preaching them. Practice before you preach. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Name Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now that um, many scholars believe that she was wealthy because purple was a difficult dye to get. And so if she was trading in those things, um, she was probably pretty wealthy. And uh, uh, scholars as well think she was probably single. So you have this single businesswoman that Paul begins to talk to. Again, another barrier. Because it doesn't matter who you are and what you do. You could come from a, fam- a super dysfunctional family where one is involved in the occult and the dad's involved and maybe not even involved at all. God can use you. You might be wealthy. You might have a degree. You might be a lawyer. God can use some. You can probably be used too. If you're, no, I'm kidding. That was a bad lawyer joke. Um, no, it doesn't matter. You can have, have a PhD. Praise God. Good for you. God can use you. It doesn't matter. He breaks down these barriers. You don't have to be super smart. You don't have to be uh, not so smart. doesn't matter. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Watch what she does. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She was most likely not Jewish, and here goes another boundary. Jews were not supposed to go and go into the house of Gentiles. We talked about that uh, last week and I think the week before. But they break down this boundary. God is placing them in these uncomfortable un, um, uh, uh, situations that they're not used to, And the Holy Spirit just keeps going. Her whole household gets saved and baptized. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. She persuaded us. And they do. Then Paul goes on, I mean, uh, Luke goes on. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So now they've, they've come into the situation where there's a demon-possessed slave girl that tells the future for these owners. And they make a lot of money off of her. Again, an entirely different situation. Uncomfortable. Matter of fact, it gets uncomfortable. We'll read it in a second. So uncomfortable that Paul actually gets annoyed with it, how it goes down. But before we move on, I wanted us to see one thing. This girl... This girl is a slave, and she's demon-possessed. That's a bad day, okay? That's a bad situation. And oftentimes, we kind of rush through these things, but here's Paul and uh, Silas at this point, and they see this girl who's both enslaved and demon-possessed. And as we've been talking every week about the difference between um, the culture that we live in and the kingdom of God and where we will come up against certain things where somebody might actually be profiting from something that is unjust. And it might be our turn to say something. Our whole denomination, Free Methodism, was birthed out of this very thing. We are out of the uh, abolitionist movement and, and, and the Methodist church uh, was, was owning slaves. And uh, we said, no. No, this, this is wrong. And so we actually split off from the Methodist church to become free Methodists. We have a bunch of different freedoms. There's that, that all people should be free, that nobody should be enslaved. And our denomination continues uh, to work with things like sex trafficking and uh, getting rid of all sorts of human slavery around the world. 
The other thing was you'd pay for your seats, right? So if you, if you were rich, you'd sit in the front. And we said, no, it's free. And poor people used to stand in the back or sit in the back, and we'd get, get through there. You, it used to be that um, only the pastor was the one who could do all the ministering. And we said, no, there's freedom for laity, uh, uh, everybody to be involved in kingdom work. As a matter of fact, we preach this almost every week, that you guys are it. It's not me. My job is to equip the saints for works of service, which is you guys. So here's this enslaved girl. So watch what happens. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now you'd think in, in, in that case, you'd be kind of stoked that she was there because she's doing what she would do normally for her owners, right? Now she's doing for you. So she's getting a lot of attention and all this kind of stuff. But Paul knew differently, and she kept this up for many days. And then, I just love this. <laughs> Finally, Paul became so annoyed, <laughs> like, that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And I, I just wonder to myself, why did it take him to be annoyed to cast a de demon out of some little girl? Like, wouldn't you just do that if you can do it? But I was thinking about this quite a bit. And I wonder if it took a while for Paul to realize this isn't, there's something wrong here. Maybe it did take a few days. Maybe he was going, going his own way and it was like, oh, well, this girl, you know, she's following. I don't know, let's let her go. And then all of a sudden, maybe the Holy Spirit just said, this, this, is, this has got to end. And so Paul gets annoyed. I, don't, I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But I just thought it would be great for pastors to read this and be like, don't do any ministry until you're annoyed. That's what the Bible is teaching you. It's like, you need to uh, counsel uh, somebody. Wait till you're annoyed. It's, that's the best outcome. It says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. She was free. This slave girl was free. God showed up with, with Paul and let that, let that little girl go. So you'd think if you cast a demon out of somebody, then everybody around would be like, that's fantastic. Way to go. We, we'd like to be saved too. That's not what happens because when the kingdom of God hits a culture head on, oftentimes there's not that great of a response. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. They didn't care about her, right? They weren't like, well, okay, you know, we, that was a good run. She had a demon. We used it as best we could. And No, they're upset. They wanted to use this little girl probably for the rest of her life. They seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, Paul had just cast a demon out of a little girl. We've seen Paul heal lame people. We've seen God work in amazing ways. We've seen the Holy Spirit work in amazing ways. If you are Paul you probably have a pretty good line to Jesus. <laughs> pretty good. You probably have somewhat of a bat phone to be able to get out of uh, problems. Here's what happens. This is the thanks that Paul and Silas get. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. This is Paul. 
This is the Apostle Paul. God, for some reason, allowed him to go through this. Some, for some reason, all Paul was doing was good stuff. He was helping the church grow. He was uh, helping people get along. He was, um, you know, uh, sharing the good news of the gospel. And, and this is the thanks God has for Paul? You get beaten and dragged around? I don't know why God allowed that. It doesn't say why. And I don't know why God would allow some of us to go through the things we're going through. Some of you are in a situation right now that had nothing to do with you. Your parents, your whatever, your boss. You're, you're in this situation and it just feels yucky. How do you respond? How do you respond to God? When... Um, when our son was going through his seizures, um, I've been in times like that where it just feels like, really? Like, really? He's going to have epilepsy? After all I've done for the kingdom? I, those were real feelings of mine. Watch what happens. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown in prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So here's what they do. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, like solitary, okay, and fastened their feet in stocks. And what would happen is, you, you, once your feet were in stocks, you, had, you either had to uh, sleep sitting down, or you um, had to lie on the floor to sleep. You were just stuck there and they would rub and they were very uncomfortable and you'd get sores and so it was just a horrible place to be now why in the world would God allow Paul the apostle Paul to be beaten to be stripped to be humiliated to be placed in prison I have no idea but I know Paul's response and unfortunately for me there were definitely times when we were going through what we were going through with our son that I didn't have the response that Paul had. Looking back, I should have. We actually, we're up to, uh, in December, uh, it'll be two years since he's had a seizure. And so we're very, yeah, thank you. We're super stoked about that. But, but here's the thing that always bothers me. On that, on the side of the situation I'm at now, I look back at my past self and I wish I could go back and say, praise him. Just praise him. It's going to be okay. Praise him. And even if it doesn't become okay, praise him. Here's what Paul does. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying and singing hymns to God. I know I'd be talking to God. I don't think I'd be singing hymns. I think I'd, I'd have a lot of words for him. Like, hey, dude, seriously, 
I'm trying to do your work. Well, you're the one in control. You got the power of the Holy Spirit. You couldn't have given me a fireball or something, right? When I needed it to kind of get out of there, just anything, you couldn't have zapped me away. He's singing and he's praising God. This is what it tells me. I think it's bad theology if we expect to go through life without hardship. I just think it's bad theology. And as we said a couple weeks ago, if we can hang in there and we can keep this attitude of praise, even in the midst of the darkest times, God will not reject us. He's there. He does not waste any of these things that we go through. He doesn't waste one of them. And some of them are really bad. So he's praying and the other prisoners were listening to them. I wonder what it sounded like in there because it would have been dark. it was pitch black we know this because later on the guard has to the jailer has to call for lights to be put on but you could probably hear the metal of the of the stocks clanking around and i wonder what those what it must have been like for those prisoners who had no hope and now there's somebody singing praises to god in the midst of the same pain they're going through i don't know why god had them in that jail. But I know there were some people in that jail that were going through the exact same thing. And I'll bet, I can't prove it, but I'll bet they were thinking, how can they sing in a time like this? Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. (laughs) That must have been awesome. Like all, you're just sitting there and all of a sudden everything just goes clink and the doors open up. And you're like, hello. <laughs> like it's still dark in there. The jailer woke up. Well, no duh. And, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Had they escaped, he would have been uh, they would have, he would not have had to kill himself. It would have been done for him. That was just what happened. When you were a jailer or a guard and somebody under your watch gets away, uh, you die. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Nobody's left. Our circumstances don't dictate our actions. Our actions are to serve the Lord. Our actions are to worship. Our actions are to keep our eyes focused on Him. That's why we sang, when I don't know what to do, I sing your praise. When I don't know where to go, I run to your throne. When I don't know what to think, I stand on your truth. Whether Paul's doors were open and the chains were off or the chains were on and the door was closed, it didn't make any difference. He was a person of prayer and a person of praise. I can almost hear praise songs going now. It's just (laughs) incredible. Thank you, Lord. Okay. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought uh, them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I wonder if at that point Peter was like, 
I still didn't really like being beaten, but this is pretty cool. <laughs> they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they just started to explain what that really meant. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately, he and his whole household were baptized. It doesn't say if any of the prisoners were baptized or what happened to them, but I'll bet they'll never be the same. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. I, I wonder sometimes what opportunities I might have missed because I couldn't muster up enough to praise him. I was too focused on myself. I was too focused on my circumstances. I had my, my, my eyes on the waves rather than on the Lord who stands above the waves. I wonder if I've missed any opportunities. And I probably have. And the Lord is gracious and doesn't punish me for that. But this is an example of when we go through things that are totally out of our control and totally not fair, that God can use it to minister to somebody we maybe have never met or would not have met had we not gone through what we're going through now. Some of you are in marriages right now. If you can hang on, if you can, I know it's hard. If you can just stick with it, you are going to minister to couples that you could not have ministered to without going through this storm. I've seen it over and over and over again. Some of you are going through a time where you don't have a job and you're struggling and these, the finances, the bills are building up and all this kind of stuff. If you can hang on, if you can praise him, if you can run to his throne, if you can say, I don't know what to do, but I, I'm just gonna sing your praise, you will be able to minister to so many more people than you could have if you hadn't gone through this. I think I'm a better pastor because my family went what they went through. And yet, if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably be praying for him to take it away because <laughs> I just know myself. But he allows us sometimes to go through that. Well, when it was daylight, the magistrates send their officers to the jailer with an order. Release those men. We've had our fun. We've beaten them. They've stayed in jail and all this kind of stuff. And this is where you see a, a side of Paul. Like Paul's like a, a, a great man of God, right? Okay. But he's also a little bit rough around the edges. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered uh, that you and Silas be released. It's really interesting that he knows Silas's name now. It's like they've had this meal together and it's like they're buddies, you know. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, uh, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens. Now, if you were watching this in a movie, you'd hear, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay? And that's where everyone would go, uh-oh, this isn't going to go very well. Even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Why don't they come out and, and escort us? We'll, we'll wait, you know, right? Now, again, we talk about Acts. Some things are descriptive and some things are prescriptive. I actually don't think this is the best way to handle stuff like that, okay? I, I think this is just Paul because it, it ended up, he did this same trick a little later in Acts and it ended up getting him killed. Um, 
So, uh, but he says, no, let, the, let, them, uh, let, let them come themselves and escort us out. In other words, we're going to walk through the whole uh, town. The officers reported to this to the magistrates, and they went, oh, snap. Uh, when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. <laughs> yeah, they were. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. <laughs> Could you please go now? Watch what happens here. This is so neat as Adjo comes back up. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house. Remember, Lydia was the one that sold the uh, purple stuff where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and they left. Just within these 40 verses, we've seen God move in incredible ways. Doesn't matter what your family of origin is. Doesn't matter if you come from a blended family. Doesn't matter if your parents were divorced and now they've remarried and maybe they did that twice. So now you've got six of them floating around. You know, it, just, it doesn't matter. God can use you for great things in the kingdom. It doesn't matter what your gender is. You know, it doesn't matter if, if you're, God has blown that off. If you're male or female, you can be used the same. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Lydia, it doesn't matter what your education is. Whether you're a slave girl or whether you're a wealthy business person, God can use you and does use you. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. You will probably not get away from pain. And God can use that as well. Thank you. 